morning. So I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm not necessarily going to ask if you're happy I'm here, but I'm happy to be here. Uh, and your staff, uh, Wayne and Andre, are some of my uh, favorite people. Um, quality people, smart, savvy, uh, op- hearts open to the leading of, of our Lord. So those are all, that's about as good as it gets. So, um, and we're, uh, well, I'm going to be here for five weeks, last week and this week, and then I think there's a couple weeks where I'm not here, and then three weeks in a row. So I thought, uh, uh, talking with Andre, that it would be maybe a good idea to do five weeks on 1 Corinthians. So that's a little bit too much in five weeks ago, just do a verse-by-verse exegesis, but I can do kind of an overview, so that's what we're doing, in case you didn't notice that last week. Uh, so it's Paul's first letter uh, to the church at Corinth, and I thought um, maybe even to start today, I ought to say something about, um, about what it meant for Paul actually to go to Corinth and, and, and start a church. Uh, and I'm going to start in a, in a way that's going to be maybe a little bit, uh, um, it'll seem like it's uh, tangential. I want to talk about language and meaning in language for just a minute. So meaning in language is composed of two f- uh, elements, sense and referent. Sense is what we're saying. Referent is what we're saying it about. So the very simple English sentence, six words, seven syllables, I am mad about my flat. If I'm upset, what am I upset about? My, my car tire. But if I live in London, I'm not upset. I'm, I'm Mr. Happy. And I'm Mr. Happy about my apartment. So the same Six words and a very different meaning. So we're talking about religion and about faith. So Paul comes to Corinth, uh, a Greco-Roman city. It's in Greece, but it's really, as we saw last week, a Roman city. And he starts preaching this gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how would people have understood that? Now, in, in before Judaism and Christianity became widespread, and now the, the monotheistic religions cover the globe, but 2,000 years ago... Um, the genuine religious practice was what we call polytheism. Uh, And uh, in polytheism, or in Roman paganism, for instance, there was no such thing as conversion. You didn't have to leave one god to go to another. If you became aware of another god, you just put a new idol on the mantle and shoved the other ones over. Um, And there's no sense of sin in paganism. If, you're, if, if something's gone wrong, if you've had a car crash or, or, you know, uh, or uh, your, you know, your house was set by lightning or something, it's not because the gods are angry. Uh, it's not because uh, some moral imperfection. It's because you've somehow done something to anger one of the many gods. And the thing is, you've got to figure out which one. And then half a minute, pour a little wine, say a quick little incantation, and you're good. So... When Paul started talking about issues of faith, the referent, the frame of reference that people had in mind was paganism. And so what, this whole notion of there being one God, a God who loves you, and, and, and the Son of God who came to earth as a human being and sacrificed himself, and now the Holy Spirit dwells in you, that, that is like nothing they've ever heard before. And so it's not, it's not converting them from one thing they already know much about to something that's, that's recognizable. And that accounts for some of the, 
um, some of the strangeness in what's going on there. And the other thing, we're, and we're going to see this in uh, today's uh, 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 sermon. I, do, I guess I was not sure it was a sermon. I don't know what it is. <laughs> speech? No, it's not a speech. It's, a, it's an interactive experience. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a place where, where Paul will say, your boasting is not good. And in our culture, even though a lot of us boast, and sometimes we boast and we try to make it look like it ain't boasting, but in their world, boasting was normal. In fact, people talked about the value of boasting. If you don't boast, how can people know about you? Cicero once wrote a letter to a friend of his asking him to, asking his friend to like be kind of like his publicist in a certain city, and he, and he knows he's way over the top. I'm asking you to say things about me that really aren't true. They're such, they're, they're such, they're putting the best foot so far forward that that foot is no longer attached to the body, you know, way out there. And he says, you know, if I was in person, I'd be embarrassed to ask this much of you. But I'm writing it in a letter, and a letter cannot blush. <laughs> so it's all, boasting was also a normal thing in their world. And so there's something, there's an issue that we're going to see uh, uh, in this letter, and the chapters we look at today, where they're, they're boasting about something that they think shows how they've got some superior uh, benefit or power from this new uh, religion they've uh, encountered. So as we saw last week, next Romans, Paul's more, most important letter, and perhaps it, perhaps it is his most important letter, because it's what Paul does most of the time. Uh, and we saw, so I'm not, we did all these last week, so I guess that's the teacher in me, like, reviewing <laughs> for a test that's never going to happen. <laughs> So and then we see where Corinth is, city of Corinth, ancient. It was uh, repopulated by the Romans. Um, that's the that's the view of ancient Corinth. There it is again. So these are two years ago, two and a half years ago. I took these. I'm totally proud that none of these have my finger in the in the uh, photo. So. Um, Here's the overview, chapters 1 through 6, a response to a letter from Chloe's people. So there were, there were various house churches, at least four, and there was one letter that Paul received from the house church of Chloe, and that's, what, that's the first six chapters. And then there's a letter from the church as a whole, that's chapters 7 and following, uh, and somewhere, 12, 13, 14, he sort of stops responding to that letter and starts uh, talking about issues that have just come to his mind as a result of the two letters. We don't know quite where that, where that break is. And we talked about some of the foundations. We live, in, uh, we live in this world, but our true citizenship is in heaven. So we're, the New Testament actually calls us uranapolitai. Uranos is the Greek word for heaven. Politai, like politics. So it's citizen. So we're citizens of heaven. So that's why we sometimes hear, you remember the old hymns, like we're sojourners here. You know, we're, we're, we're here, we, you know, this is, this is our temporary home. And we ought to have affection for it. We're not just traveling through like, um, like I was in China. 
I came back from India a couple weeks ago, and I was in China for eight hours, but all in the airport. That's not really being in China, you know. So, so we're we're supposed to actually be involved and interact with this world, but our but our loyalty is in is in heaven. That's why Paul calls us ambassadors. We belong to a different country, but we're ambassadors here. And then there's the reality of spiritual forces. Paul will say they stand behind human institutions and cultural practices. Now, this is something they would have understood, even though that's a little alien to us. But they would have understood this because they believe that the world is full of gods, and we would have used a little g, spirits everywhere. So, chapters 3, maturity and responsibility. He says, um, teachers and leaders have responsibilities. They have, well, they are responsible. They're responsible to what? And in their world, you know, to be a teacher or a leader, a lot of that was to draw attention to yourself as well. And Paul will argue, you know, your agents, if you're in leadership, if you're a teacher or a leader in any capacity, you need to recognize that you're not your own agent. You're the agent of, of God and the agent of Jesus Christ. So you have responsibility to that, to your Lord and to the gospel, to be faithful to the gospel, you don't get to just abuse your, you know, your influence. That's very, uh, that's key, critical, not just to Paul, but to Christian leadership in general, right? And if you've ever been in leadership, you know that it, uh, or of any kind, you know that it can be uh, intoxicating, and people can get off track without even trying to. They get a little bit too excited about themselves, a little bit too happy about, you know, the, what they imagine they see in the mirror, so Paul's very clear here, wow, you are agents of Christ and you better realize it. And so he will say, chapter 4, verse 1, so then, people ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the wisdom, the secrets of God. So we're not doing this for us. We're, we are the servant of someone else. We're the agent of someone else. Or the slave, the, the, the doulos of someone else. And then verse 8, so we'll say, I'll just read chapter 4. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. So, so secret things, that the word is, is mystery, mysterion. So it doesn't mean secret like, you know, like some uh, game uh, party uh, game, you, you know, you tell a secret and pass it around in a circle. It's, it's not a secret because it's disclosed, but it, it's more like this awesome, previously unknown truth uh, that is unlike anything we've heard before. So we are, we are entrusted with this, this truth, this most important news ever, so are you. Now it is required of those who have been given a trust that they be found faithful. That totally makes sense. That's how the world often works. I don't care at all if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. Now, judgment in, in, in Scripture, in the New Testament, I mean, there, there are several nuances to it. You know, um, we sometimes judge ourselves. What we do reveals something about ourselves, how faithful we are. Other people judge us. So judgment in the New Testament, you know, we're not to judge others. We're not to sit in judgment over them. But we should uh, exercise judgment over ourselves and over how we interact with others around us, depending on what we see them doing. And, and, and God judges. 
Well, that's sort of like making a pronouncement. But we judge our we judge ourselves in a way by what we choose to do. We're revealing something about ourselves by how we operate. So judgment is is multivalent. Uh, just that single word has at least four or five different nuances to it, depending on um, on on the on the action in view. So here he's saying. What matters is whether God is pleased with how I'm operating. I'm not trying to make you like me. Because then, if that, was my, if that was my ultimate goal, then I would, sooner or later, I would no longer be serving Jesus Christ. I would be, I would be, uh, um, I would be uh, a marketer or you know, someone working for Coca-Cola trying to figure out the newest recipe that people will buy. Instead of what's healthy, <laughs> does that make sense? So I'm not. I don't, I'm not trying. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to win your favor. I'm trying to be faithful to our Lord, and that oughta the rational part of you ought to say, "Yep, that's right. I ought to be attracted to that." My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So, yep, my conscience is clear. That's great, but that's. Only great insofar as the Lord also is viewing me as deserving of a clear conscience. I could be, I know that I can be a little bit uh, off beam, right? Isn't that our, our human experience? We're certain we're on the right track and then something, somehow we wake up and we realize, oh, we were, we were massively wrong. Oliver Cromwell, kind of, kind of an odd person to quote, he once said to the Scottish Presbyterians, I beg you in the, in, from the depths of my bowels, that's an old-fashioned way of talking, I beg you from the depths of my bowels, consider the possibility you might be wrong. Not you are wrong, but consider the possibility. I think that's, that's a brilliant uh, 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 state way to, way to phrase it. I mean, that's a good self-correct. I, I think I'm right. I'm pretty sure I'm right. But I know that I've, I've felt that way before and been wrong. So I'm going to have a little tiny bit of, of self-doubt. Uh, you know, doubt, has a, doubt can have a positive function. It can keep you from making a mistake. So, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. So, yeah, God alone knows what's really going on in people's hearts. Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Isn't it kind of weird that we're so proud of certain things about us that we didn't do a thing to deserve? <laughs> Everything's a gift, and we're all excited that I've got this about this or that ability, and like <laughs> that just got planted in you. Recognize that. Recognize the God who is the creator, who made you who you are. Get excited about that. And, uh, and it's crazy to be super proud about something that is simply a gift. And you have no, I mean, you did nothing to earn it. You, did not, you, haven't even, you didn't even have to do much to, to, uh, to refine it. 
why, why is that, why do you think that makes you so much more awesomer than somebody else? I mean, recognize who the creator is. And you can see how this is planning to see for what's going to come later when he talks about the Christian community as a body. We need each other as an organism. The church is an organism, not a, a, a fish tank full of individual organisms that are competing for resources in the same environment. We're an organism together. And then he says, already you want, already you have become rich, already, and you would have become kings and not without us. So he's saying, wow, some of you are viewing this Christian community as, an, as a place where you can, where you can display how, how talented you are and you can rise to the top of the food chain. And if it weren't for the fact that Apollos and I have been there, Apollos really, you know, smarty pants Apollos, and me, I'm the one who started the church. If not for us, then you'd be able to say you're the, you're the most important people ever in the history of this Christian church, this, this community. So if not for us, you'd be kings. And that very, that very desire to be important, to be in control, to be, be the one who gets to tell people what to do, that just shows that you are uh, not worthy of being trusted with leadership even though in their world, that would be the way you would get to be in charge. So I'm not writing this to warn you, as my, as my dear children, or to shame you, I'm writing this to warn you, as my dear children. Even though you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, and have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I urge you to imitate me, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a great principle. Find, in the Christian life, find someone who is uh, a little more mature, have been, been around the block a few more times than you have with the Lord, and just sit and talk and learn, you know, learn from them that way. I, I, I didn't understand this when I went to college, but, but I found it true uh, much later. Um, I learned more from, there's three, profe- three, three, profe- <laughs> Three persons I had at the, at the University of California who took an interest in me, and I learned more from hanging out in their office and talking to them than I ever learned in the many, many, many hours in a lecture. And they, I mean, I was just so fortunate, so fortunate. A lot of friends, my friends, had never had a conversation with a professor beyond, like, what, when's the exam? But I was so lucky, and, I, and I, that, they poured, in, without, they just poured their lives into me, that's how it felt, even though they were... I don't know, maybe just passing the time. But that, that is so fortunate. So to imitate, not just, um, not just learn what to say. And this gets, to the, this gets to the notion that runs through this letter, runs through all the Old New Testament, is that we are more than just our thoughts. We're, we are whole beings. The way we're put together is a rational part and a feeling part and a willing part. So Augustine said, uh, he's 500 years later, but he said, you know, when my mind tells my legs to go over there, I go over there. But when my mind says, don't do that, but something else, I watch myself doing it. Like that's St. Paul, that which I want to do, I don't do. So we're, we're, so the, 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 the operative part really isn't so much our mind, it's our will. Can we train our will? You can know all kinds of stuff. Remember Michael Milken, the junk bond king? 
after he got out of prison, he gave an interview. I read it years ago, but he said, yeah, Harvard was great. It taught me everything I needed to do to build people out of millions of dollars. But it never taught me I shouldn't do it. <laughs> right? So knowledge alone can be really dangerous. Because if the will isn't, isn't brought under the, under the influence and, and the, the guidance of God, then, we, you know, then we, can be, we can be in a lot of trouble for ourselves and others. So it's, he, notice how Paul is bringing together not just mind, but also will. And then also feet, you know, what you do with your, uh, with your feet and your, um, and your hands. Then chapter 5. Switches gears a little bit. Yeah, so you're puffed up. True maturity and responsibility marked are humble obedience to Christ and a self-sacrificing attitude. So uh, then uh, we moved, it, Paul moves to sexual issues. So once again, he's responding to various issues that the letter from Chloe's people adumbrated. So the next one on the list is, uh, it's actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among the pagans. A man uh, has his father's wife. So there's a guy uh, who is having sexual relations with his uh, stepmother. And he says, not even the pagans do that. So this is a bad thing. <laughs> but the, re thing, the reason it's really a bad thing is because he says, you're proud of it. You're actually, you're not just allowing it, but you're saying, you're, you're like you're putting it on the church marquee, uh, you know, on the street. And what this is about is this. He says, you know, not even pagans do that. So what, what the church is saying is, we have a secret. This, this, new, this new religion thing that we found, we can actually have forgiveness for whatever we do. That means you can do whatever you want. <laughs> what power is that? What awesome power is that that you never, you know, that you, it's a get out of jail free card for everything. So let's just take that one all the way. Let's do something that is actually even reprehensible, even in our own sexually promiscuous culture, and say, look at what we got. That's what he's saying, because it's also then a kind of boasting. And he's saying, wow, you don't get it. I mean, the, the, gospel, the, 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 the gospel of the Spirit of the living God, because of what Christ has done coming to dwell within you, is about reforming that will. Not about just you having awesome power. Like you're, the, like you're now the, 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 the hottest thing in town. Does that make sense? And in their world, that's, that'd be the kind of thing. What, what, what God has the most power and how can you turn them to help you? So they're thinking, how do we manipulate these spiritual powers out there? And Paul is saying, you know, this is a whole different dynamic. Whole different dynamic. So they know they are saved, therefore they can do anything. And they also be believe in the disjunction between body and soul. What you do with your body doesn't affect your spiritual life. You can do whatever you want with your body. And, and uh, Paul will say, and this is because we know it's true also, well, what, where we take our body affects our spiritual life. Where you take your mind affects your spiritual life. We all know this is true, right? And our, and our spiritual life, if it's healthy, then uh, certain temptations that come upon us, they don't, they don't have, they don't, there's no Velcro or very little Velcro for them to stick to. You know, that word temptation, pyrasmos, we, that's, we get the, our word pirate from that. 
And pyrasmos actually means, um, uh, it can be either a temptation or a test. See, for us, we lay, when we talk about temptation, we lay the emphasis on the intent of the tempter. He tempted me. Like I was totally innocent, just walking along, and then she tempted me. The Bible lays emphasis not on the intent of the tempter, but on our reaction to the temptation. So the same situation, if you give in, then it is a temptation for you. If you, if you endure, then it becomes like, a, like a, 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 an hour in the gym that makes you stronger. That's, isn't that interesting? That our culture, the way we think about it is, I, I'm totally innocent. It's not really my fault. <laughs> they, they came and tempted me. And the New Testament says, that's life. You need to have a, not only the, 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 a, a mind and also your will being trained practiced so that you can recognize it and resist it. And that's also a part here. So they believe in the disjunction between body and soul, but what we do with our bodies affects our spiritual life and vice versa. So his argument hinges on what he's going to say in more detail in chapter 15. You know, the, the, the body actually is immortal. Right? I mean, the crucified, the resurrected Jesus still bore the marks of the crucifixion and the torture. So their world, the body, I mean, they had a, there was a, um, they thought the, the, the spirit was pure and the body was um, less so. So the idea of a bodily resurrection makes no sense, made no sense in the Greco-Roman world. They thought spirit was immortal. But the, you know, the biblical view is that our, our bodies, while they are transformed, there's still, there's some continuity. So what you do with your body affects your spiritual life and vice versa. So Paul corrects us. You know what? Love for others is more important than personal rights. What, what effect are you having on the people around you? And he's going he's gonna to build on this case later on in chapters 8 and 10 when he talks about, about idle meat. Can you eat idle meat or not? You know, if you're strong, you can, but don't do it if there's a weaker brother or sister. So he's going to build on that principle. So... Love for others is more important than knowledge or personal rights because you're a body. You're a single organism. You're not different organisms that happen to be in the same space. And body and soul are linked. The man sleeping with his father's wife. And then he says, you should cast him out. Now, I think it's, it, it, it's, it's critical that we understand it isn't just this is happening, but that the church is advertising it. So this doesn't mean that every time we come aware of sin in someone's life, we should cast them out. Because none of us would be here. But it, it's folks who have, a, who have a, a, you know, at the very least, a totally unrepentant attitude. There's nothing, nothing I'm doing is wrong. But it's even more than that. They're actually advertising this. So sin, uh, sin in the body, sin in individual life, I mean, it's, it's always serious. But it's also something that, you know, that we all, we all, we all with which we all struggle and we, and we fail. I fail. Am I the only one in the room who fails at that? 
and so, uh, but, but the, the key really is, you know, are, are you, you know, is there repentance and is there an awareness that, um, that, that but this thing I'm doing is just really not healthy. I need to, I need to somehow figure out how to, how to break free of this habit. Right? Because we become, um, we become used to things. Augustine, the great Augustine said, be careful what you love because you become subject to the things you love and subjects cannot judge. And the other thing is, that's true here is that in their culture, the socially superior get to break the rules. That's the Dennis Rodman principle I talked about last week. So they're also saying, wow, I have, you know, we have so much power, we get to break this rule that's a rule even in, in sexually promiscuous Greco-Roman Corinth. So they're not just allowing it, they're glorying in it. And that's, that really is what Paul's most upset at. He, he would be upset if they're just allowing it and not trying to, not trying to uh, uh, amend it, but that they're actually advertising it is just, that's a mind blower to him. We talked about judging already. Maybe I'll just review. So the, the word is krino in Greek, which can mean either condemn or to judge. So a type of judgment is, I sentence you to prison for 78 years. That's a type of judgment. Another type of judgment is, you're guilty. That's not the same as sentence. That's declaring, it's declaring that is a kind of verdict, but it's not a sentencing verdict. But we also judge ourselves by what we do. And we judge other people sometimes, fairly or unfairly. So Paul, you know, the New Testament will say, judge yourself. Be, uh, be honest about observing your own patterns, your own, your own uh, the way you're, you know, the, way you're, uh, the, uh, the things to which you're becoming attached, addicted even. So be aware of yourself, but don't spend your time pointing the finger at everybody else. You've got enough whacked outness in yourself to, to keep you busy. How about that? And we shouldn't judge fellow Christians. And the issue here really is, you know, is one of superior, an assumption of superiority. Now, we do need to be aware of what's going on. That's a kind of judgment. But to, but to have an attitude that's, a, you know, that's, a, that's overly condemnatory as opposed to one of compassion... Um, that's that's the it's not so much a line, but there's a there's a border where you can get you know you can really get too far into into sinning yourself when you're doing that. So the point seems to be in the Bible is it's God's prerogative to judge. So when we make judgments about one another, we are acting in God's stead, right? You ever hear people say like when you're a little kid, say people would say, I'd hear people say don't you know don't swear. You know, um, well, because you're, you're arrogating to yourself a role that it belongs only to God properly when you make that judgment. That's, only, that's, that's God's role. So, and you don't really get to impose your personal standards on others. You know, there's a broad acceptance in, the Christian, in Paul's teaching of let people be who they are, who God has made them to be, but there, are, but there are certain boundaries, like this one, of, of sexual uh, sin. Then he'll say, uh, right, there's, there's lawsuits. You know, you're arguing against one another. Um, so this is chapter 6. Um, and he says, you know, you shouldn't take one another to court. 
And this is one of the most uh, 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 putatively convoluted passages in Paul. I mean, it, it, it seems so foreign. Maybe I'll just read it. How about that? If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes on such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. So what's he saying? I mean, that sounds like that needs... Like Ricky Ricardo used to say to Lucy, you know, you got some splaining to do, you know. That needs a little explain <laughs> needs a little explaining. So um, here's the basic idea. Um, you and I li- for Paul, New Testament generally, you and I live a subhuman existence. We live less than God intended. What God intended was what Adam and Eve had in the garden with God before the fall. That's why Paul can call, does call Jesus the second in Romans, the second Adam, Adam as he should have been. So what we live is human, but it is a, it is a, a, a broken, a limping humanity. And... What, what is one of the results of what Christ has done to sacrifice his life and then, the, and then being raised from the dead and then the spirit of the living God comes to dwell in us, Paul will say then what, what can happen then is we can be on the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Because now we have the spirit within us and if we pay attention and learn how to create more space for the spirit in our lives so we're more and more directed by God's will and God's purpose, then we become more and more all the time like what God intended for us to be. Does that make sense? And actually, who, do, who is made in God's image? We are. Angels ain't. This is, this is kind of a mind blower, but, but the way God, how it's going to happen when we're in heaven and we are reestablished in the spot God wanted for us, he actually says, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? Because that's what God intended. We're the ones just like him. We're made to be like him. Not just like him, but I mean in his image. Now, the other thing is, is um, when God created, right, according to Genesis 1 and 2, he, he then gave to a human being, said, I'm going to trust you with taking care of the earth. I'm going to delegate my authority to you. My parents, when I was a sophomore in high school, went to Hawaii for 10 days and left me alone in the house. <laughs> and they, with the keys to the car. <laughs> so I actually, I wasn't that, I mean, I was a pretty um, boring kid. So I mean, I only drove to, I walked to school, drove to church. But uh, on Friday, before they came home, and I also didn't clean the house at all, so that was bad. But uh, for what I had for, I was very excited about this because uh, there was going to be a movie on that night and I actually I drove the car to Safeway and bought a half gallon of milk and a tub of Duncan Hines ready to spread chocolate fudge frosting and that's what I had for dinner. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. 
But there were certain things that I, because I didn't do any cleaning in the house all week long, and it was a horrible all-day Saturday doing the dishes. And so, I mean, they came in, there was evidence of like, okay, you, know, you probably didn't fully live into the trust we, you know, we, we gave to you. So, so God says, I'm going to trust you to, ma- to, to maintain this earth. And what have we done? You know, we, we, have, we have created structures. We're the ones who've created government structures. I mean, that's what's behind Paul's thought in Romans, but elsewhere in the Bible, about, about obeying authority, not because it's ordained by God necessarily. What God ordained is, I'm trusting you, human beings, and this is how we've put things together. And part of the problem is there are, spiritual forces, Satan, but also some of the angels who have decided they're going to go their own way and they have become the ones who have coerced and tempted or worked in concert with certain human institutions who've made the earth and our life on earth, you know, uh, uh, broken. And so Paul says, wow, behind human governments are spiritual forces. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the principalities and powers. Those are the angelic spiritual forces out there. So he says, one day after the end of the world and judgment and it's all over and there's the big judgment, then the angels who have, gone, who, who have, who have turned evil, the spiritual forces that have turned evil, they're going to sit in judgment. And who's actually going to judge them? You believers. So while you're on earth, don't take one another to a Roman civil court because that's under the control of the spiritual forces that have turned evil. Does that make sense? That, that's what he's arguing. I know that's a little bit, it's so distant from anything in our world, it can seem pretty um, opaque. So the saints will judge the world, even the angels. So don't allow the world to judge disputes between you. If there's a dispute between you, it ought to be, it ought to be adjudicated this way. You know, what, what, is God, what is God trying to accomplish here? And that means, those, that, means, that means those things become secondary or tertiary, whatever, whatever is between you. Now think about Paul's practical ministry life. I mean... Do you remember that he says, to, he, he says in passing, I, I've asked Timothy, even though he's not circumcised and doesn't need to be circumcised because his dad's a Greek, I've asked him to undergo circumcision when we're going to go to this one spot so that doesn't become an issue. That's right after. That's, that's Acts 16 before you get five verses into Acts 16. That's right after the Jerusalem Council where Gentiles don't need to be circumcised to become Christians. But he says, I've asked Timothy to give up his rights. Now, Titus, he says, nope, Titus doesn't have to get circumcised. What's the difference? It's because Paul has a, he has a, a, I'd say it's a compass, a functional compass of decision making. Because some things, depending on the situation, some things are more important than others. Always, always, always. Right? And so... Um, he'll say in 1 Corinthians a little later on, 
9, I'll do whatever it takes to win people to Christ. The most important thing for him is getting people connected in a real vital way to the living God and the spirit of the living God. That's more important than anything else. And I'll, and I'll sacrifice things that are good and that I believe are my right, but I'll put it aside to achieve that number one thing. Now, by the way, this is also the type of moral reasoning Jesus displays. You know, you, you think about, um, like, law, laws, our laws, like speed laws, speed limit. Speed limits are for what? Where do we have speed limits? Safety. Yeah, safety. So if I'm driving near the ocean and the speed limit of the road I'm on is 25 miles an hour, but I see in my rearview mirror a tidal wave 300 feet high, and it's approaching faster than I'm driving, and I'm thinking, if I stay at 15, I'll never, I'll never outrace that tidal wave. But you know what? That's what the law says. So, I mean, the whole, the whole point of speed limits is safety, not so you woodenly, idiotically always do exactly what it says. So the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? The, 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 the Samaritan is on the road. Here's a guy left for dead. Now, the priest and the Levite see him, and they actually go around him. Why? Because if you touch a dead body, you're unclean for a week. And it's a priest and a Levite. And if your shadow falls across a dead body, you're unclean for a day. That's why they don't just go by him, but it even says they walk around. Now, the point of, the law, of those laws is, is being pure and holy before God, be, being someone who's sensitive to God's leading. And so Jesus tells that story to say, wow, they have obeyed the law, but missed the point of the law. Does that make sense? And that's, that's the kind of argument that then Paul is making here. I'm now done, apparently. <laughs> so... Um, but um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. There's a log. I mean, there's a, a logic to Paul that's not just his mind, but it's also his heart and his openness to the spirit of the living God. Let's let's say a prayer, shall we? Father God, forgive us right now. Forgive me right now. Forgive us right now for the ways in which. Um, you know, we ha- I haven't been as alert to your leading as we should have been. Your voice is constantly speaking. But our, our hearts aren't always soft. So forgive us. Forgive me. Father God, help us not just determine but will, so that our feet go where you would have us go. Our hands do what you would have us do. Our mouths speak as you would have us speak. And our hearts be molded in your image, God. Forgive us. And then set us on your way. May we be your agents in the world this week, we pray in your name. And all God's people said.